Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast. I am Garrett Behanna, joined alongside, as always, with Hooks Orpik himself, Jim Rixner. Jim, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for another episode of the pod. And uh, Jim, since our last episode, the Penguins haven't played in too many games, but we have to recap it nonetheless. Uh, I think, I believe since our last episode, they've played in two games, and unfortunately, they were two losses, uh, one in a overtime loss to the Edmonton Oilers, a two-to-one overtime loss, and then a six-to-four loss against the Boston Bruins as they look to play the New York Islanders uh, tonight, when this podcast goes out, they will play the New York Islanders. But uh, Jim, looking at these two previous games the Penguins played against the Oilers and Bruins, uh, let's start with the Oilers, and, and we'll just do a quick run through through each game. Uh, I watched the Oilers game uh, from start to finish, and I was pretty impressed. I was very impressed with the, the performance that the Penguins put in against Connor McDavid and company. Uh, I think if any other goaltender had been in net for the Oilers. They probably would. The Penguins probably would have won that game like 35 to one with the amount of shots that they got off on Mike Smith. And uh, it was just unfortunate. They, they really played so well to win in that game. And only coming out with the loser's point is very unfortunate. Was there anything that caught your eye in the Oilers game that you want to talk about? You're exactly right there that uh, Mike Smith was just great. The Pens had a good game. They they really did a wonderful job shutting down Connor McDavid and Leon Dreitseidel. I think pretty much, I think they only had like three Corsi events for while they were on the ice, although one of them was a two-on-one that hit the post. So those guys are always dangerous. But the Pens did wonderful against the Edmonton Top Guns. And then other than that, Edmonton just doesn't have a lot of talent. So it was pretty much downhill from there for them and, the pens just poured it on them, but yeah, you're right on. Mike Mike Smith really saved the day for Edmonton and allowed them to get out of there with the win. And heading into the following game after the overtime loss to the Oilers, the Penguins faced the Boston Bruins on Monday, uh, November 4th, in a 6-4 to loss. And Jim, this really was uh, one crazy game. I believe the Bruins went up 3 to nothing. The Penguins crawled their way back to tie it at 3-3. Then it was tied at uh, 4-4. Uh, and then the Bruins took the lead with uh, a really, really bad goal to give up if you're Tristan Jari with, I think there was like 90, 90 seconds or so left. The Bruins go up five to four and add the empty netter to win the game six to four. But uh, looking at this game from the Penguins perspective, it was really a tale of pretty bad goaltending. Uh, the game started with Matt Murray in net and he ended by only playing 24 minutes of ice time uh, with a 727 percentage. I'm not going to go too far into this game. I, I think games like this are going to happen throughout the course of an 82-game season. Goalies are going to have stinkers every now and again. It's nothing to get. It's nothing to get overly, you know, panicky about. It is unfortunate, however, uh, that the Penguins. I, I really thought the Penguins were able to hold their own, and I like their willpower that they showed against the Bruins. Because in all honesty, I, I didn't give them much of a chance to win against Boston at all, and and for them to almost get another overtime point who knows maybe they could have won in overtime had they gone there as well but for them to hold their own and uh, claw back against the Bruins was a positive sign however you know a regulation loss is a regulation loss so I guess you can't put too much stock into this game but was there anything against the Boston in the Boston game that caught your eye I think once again you did a good job with that on Boston's only lost one game in regulation this season, and they came in winning five straight for that Pens game. So they were really in top form, and their top line, too, 
unlike the Edmonton game, the Pens did not shut them down. Brad Marchand had five points. And yeah, you hit the nail on the head that Matt Murray had a bad game. It happens. Coming into that game, he had given up three total goals in the previous three games. And then he gave up three in just over a period. All of them really kind of fluky shots that he could have, should have, would have stopped. You know, it's just one of those things that it wasn't his night. And then Tristan Jari wasn't much better on the, especially the game winning goal that got by him, hit the post and hit him and went in. So that was just unfortunate too. But the big takeaway I think is in between the goaltending performance of Murray giving up a few bad goals early and Jari giving one up late was that the Penguins just dominated in Boston against a great team you know, that's playing well, and the Pens scored. They scored a lot of goals in a row. They really, that second period they had was probably their best period of the year. They scored four goals. They just, everything they were doing was in Boston's end. They controlled the play. You could tell they, they're they believing in themselves, and they're still trying hard, which I think is a big key because um, look at last year. How many times did they show up, and they just no-showed games completely, and they ended up losing 7-1, 6-1, even I think 10-1 last year or something like that. So, for them to at least show up, keep battling, it's it's really a world of difference if you look at Mike Sullivan. After every game, he's positive, he's upbeat. Even though if, if they don't win, there's usually a reason, like a hot goalie or you just run up into a team that's playing better than you and your goalie's not playing well. So the Pens know that what they're doing right now pretty much is working, at least from the process, and you hope the results will be there sooner or later. And this time last year, it's almost a year ago to the day I looked it up, Jim Rutherford was when Jim Rutherford went out and really ripped the team, saying there's people who look like they don't want to be here. We've won Stanley Cups. Now we have guys who don't even look like they want to try hard, et cetera, et cetera. And he would go on to trade Carl Hagelin and just really be disgusted with his team, which you don't see too much. So I think if you look at where the Pens were at like 12 months ago compared to where they're at now, it couldn't be any more different as far as how – the, the the leaders and the decision makers are feeling about how the team's effort is and their attention to detail and they're getting it right it's just it's just now a matter of about you know ending the game and finishing strong and getting some wins out of it I, I agree I, I it's definitely po- positives many positives to take away throughout the game and I, I agree I think you can see it on the ice the penguins feel like they can go up against any team and I think we've seen that throughout the course of this season already uh, the game the game they lost against the the Tampa Bay Lightning in, in pretty late fashion that was unfortunate they, but they held their own they held their own against another good team like you were describing just now against the Bruins I think the Penguins are a couple of pieces away between now and the trading deadline I, I really do think they're only a couple of pieces away from legitimately competing for another championship but in order to do that I think we, we need all hands on deck. The, the Penguins only had a healthy lineup. The, the, we talked about this on last week's episode. Before it went out, uh, we had talked about how the Penguins, I don't even know if the Penguins had had all of the forwards, all of their defensemen, everyone healthy for one game this season. They got that against the Edmonton Oilers where they peppered Mike Smith for like a bazillion shots on goal in the loss. Uh, but now we're, we're, we're back to square one, it seems like. The, the injury bug can never seem to leave this team for whatever reason. And uh, let's do a deep dive into it. Uh, Chris Letang is hurt. And we'll talk about Chris Letang first because there's two injuries we're going to address. Chris Letang and Patrick Hornquist's absence. Uh, but I think Chris Letang's absence is um, much more detrimental to the team if he's out longer term. Uh, Jim, I don't know if you've heard anything 
regarding Latang's status. I think you may have put something in a recent Pennsburg article about it possibly being his groin. That's that might be speculation, pure speculation on everyone's part at this point if there hasn't been an official diagnosis. Uh, but Jim, Chris Latang is their best defenseman. Without Chris Latang, we don't know how long he could be out for. What does Chris Latang's absence really do to the rest of this decor and the rest of the team for that matter? It's going to throw a big wrench into it, and you were right that as of the time we're recording this, there's no official diagnosis or prognosis or anything. It's all speculation because the schedule has been lax. The Penguins practiced on Tuesday in New Jersey, and then they were off today on Wednesday, so they've had an extended stint of kind of inactivity. So we really don't know, but I think the fact that they're not saying much isn't probably a good thing. I mean, who knows if it's going to be a prolonged absence, but... I kind of don't expect to see him in the next couple of games. And that that really is going to be a big key, like you were saying, because he is so good. There's only so many guys who can play 25, 26 minutes a night or even more some nights and control play like he does and help drive play to the point where the Penguins outscore their opponent by a very large margin when Latang's on the ice. And he plays against the other team's top top uh, players, too. So that's a big deal. And that's something that the rest of the team is going to have to to pick up as well. We don't really know what the Pens will do to mask him. They were using John Marino with Brian Dumoulin for quite a while while Latang was out. And that could be something they do if they want to keep Marcus Pedersen and Justin Schultz together. Or the other thing you think they would do is maybe move Schultz up to play with Dumoulin and then try to cobble the rest together, maybe have Pedersen and Marino together or something like that. So they do have some options at least, but the team is definitely a lot less skilled. And then you just really, it's back to the days of where the third pair is probably two guys where you're holding your breath while they're out there at all times if Latang is out. Yeah, like you, you were describing it there, it really is a trickle-down effect. It, and it's amazing how much of an impact one player can really have on the rest of the team, from the rest of the decor to even the power play, you know, f- facilitating the power play at the blue line. I think Chris Latang is... I think Chris Letang is the only person that can do Chris Letang things. I don't think Schultz Schultz is a good shot. I think Schultz can can probably handle power play duties, but I don't I don't think Justin Schultz needs to do his best Chris Letang impersonation for the time being. So it's going to be really interesting to see when word does come out how long Chris Letang will be out uh, because obviously the Penguins are most definitely a, a better team with him on the ice. Switching gears now, like I had mentioned at the start of this segment, there was another big injury that the Penguins had suffered, and we we do know that this player will be out longer term, according to Mike Sullivan, and that is forward Patrick Hornquist. Uh, Jim, I'm not sure if you know, did uh, Patrick Hornquist finish the game uh, against the Oilers uh, in the loss against the Oilers because he did not play in the game against the Boston Bruins, and he has since been officially placed on injured reserve. Yeah, if I remember correctly, that was the game he got hurt in and left, but it all kind of runs together. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, whether he finished the game completely or not, because I'm looking at his stats, he played 1327 of ice time, which... Okay, yeah, yeah, then that he did. Um, there were some reports he went into the boards really hard to check a guy, and he missed. So there was some speculation that he might have banged his knee or something like that when he was going to give out a hit. I did see that, and yeah, that would have happened in the Edmonton game over the weekend. I don't think Hornquist's absence is as detrimental to the Penguins long-term. We don't know how long he's going to be out other than what Sullivan had said, which would be a longer-term injury, uh, so much so that he is placed on injured reserve. But 
uh, Jim, looking at Hornquist's absence, and I think the player that stepped up in Hornquist's absence was Dominic Cahoon, who had scored a goal against the Boston Bruins. We had talked about Cahoon individually on last week's show, you know, whether he whether or not he was ready to break out of that slump. So if Hornquist is out for a prolonged period of time, you look at the right wings, uh, the, the right wingers on this team. Dominic Simone isn't going to be touched from the top line for the time being. Brian Rust probably is going to, uh, my guess would be he would play alongside Malkin and Gauchenyuk. Cahoon would probably be on that third line with Bukestad and Jared McCann and Brandon Tanev rounds out the fourth line on the right wing side. So the Penguins certainly do have depth and it, it's a very uh, encouraging thing that they have depth because as we've seen in years past, some of the depth that the Penguins have had, uh, especially when it comes to the forward group, uh, can be a little bit uh, shaky, for lack of a better term. But uh, one thing the Penguins did do regarding the injury to Hornquist is they did call up Sam Lafferty from the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. So after getting a little bit of a cup of coffee down in Wilkes-Barre, he is back up for the Penguins. Uh, Jim, do you foresee, I mean, I guess it's up to Mike Sullivan and where he goes over the next couple of games, depending on how long Hornquist is out, who who would come out if Sam Lafferty were to go back in? Maybe Zach Aston Reese. Dominic Cahoon seems to be on a little bit of a hot streak right now. I don't think they want to take Brandon Tanev out. So does Sam Lafferty have a place in this forward group for the time being? You would think so since they call him up and why call him up if you don't need him, but like you mentioned with the Hornquist injury, they're down to just 12 forwards, and usually you want to have at least somebody on hand just in case anyone gets hurt in a warm-up or something crazy like that happens. Um, you would think maybe Lafferty can rotate in at some point. It's, it's a little interesting, though, because they do really seem to like the fourth line they've created of Aston Reese, Teddy Bluger, and Tanev. So I don't know if they would take any of them out right now at this point. And then the rest of the team, like you mentioned, is pretty firmly entrenched. Um, I don't think you can bench uh, Cahoon again because he has been scoring lately, even when he did come out and go back in, like you said. So he's earned a spot. He's deserving of, of game time. So I guess for right now, Lafferty, they did really like him a lot. And it was kind of a thing where they were up against the 23 healthy player limit. So he had to go down. For a bit, he went down to Wilkes-Barre and scored one goal in the two games he was down there. But I think it's kind of a matter of they have 12 guys. They don't want to have just 12 forwards in case something weird happens, and they don't want to play Yusuf Ricola again as a forward. So it's always nice to have the depth, and they really like Lafferty in general. So I think that's kind of what he's doing up here. And uh, one last little tidbit of information before we switch segments. Uh, let's talk about the return of the big Russian bear, Genny Malkin, who made his return after a lengthy injury absence uh, against the Edmonton Oilers in that loss against the Oilers. Uh, really didn't do much of note against the Oilers. Uh, he re- he did register an assist one point. He was a minus two, however, in the loss against Boston. But it's an incredibly, incredibly small sample size, two games for, for Malkin since his return. So I'm not going to go into uh, really individual play at the moment. We, we all know what Evgeny Malkin can do by himself. Uh, Jim, what I want to talk about is with the return of Evgeny Malkin, how positively that will affect Alex Galchenyuk because Malkin had been out and Galchenyuk had been out. They had been out on and off in the in the lineup and out of the lineup dealing with their own respective injuries. But ever since we had acquired Alex Galchenyuk uh, in the summer, everyone had talked about him. He's going to be in the top six and he's probably going to play alongside Evgeny Malkin. Now that Malkin is back and hopefully fully healthy and Gauchenyuk is back and also hopefully fully healthy, 
how much of an impact will Evgeny Malkin just being on that second line and probably seeing a, a good good chunk of playing time with Galchenyuk, how much of a positive impact do you foresee Evgeny Malkin having on Alex Galchenyuk's overall production? It should have a lot, and so should coming back from the injury that Galchenyuk had too that you touched on. Um, they definitely need to get more out of him. He hasn't scored a goal yet. I know as of now, he's only played six games, so that's a part of it too. But I think you'd definitely like to see a little more. And even last game, um, Galchenyuk just threw a pass up the ice for Malkin. Malkin made a, the nice backhand spinning pass to Brian Rust, and that turned into a point for Galchenyuk. So that's kind of a, an illustration there how just being on the ice with Malkin and making a simple routine play turns into an assist for Galchenyuk in the end, which is, is good. It's fine. Nothing wrong with that for sure. But um, one thing I've kind of noticed is in the last three games that they've had a lot of their core players back, that only Crosby, Malkin, and Gensel of the forwards have been playing over 15 minutes in the last three games. I think that fourth line is a big part of it too because they like that fourth line so much that I mentioned earlier of the Bluger line with Tanev and Aston Reese that the minutes are very even, which isn't always the case in the NHL. And as a result of this, they have a lot of forwards who are playing like 12 to 15 minutes a night, sometimes even less. I think Coon's playing about 10 minutes a night which is really low and I think that's also got to be hurting Galchenyuk he's a guy who in his career has been playing 15-16 minutes a night and the past three games it's a 12-46 average so you know you're playing 12-13 minutes when you're used to playing 15-16 it doesn't sound like a huge difference but that's a couple shifts a period which that adds up and a lot of those guys like um they'll get into a groove or rhythm by playing more. And the more they play, obviously, if you're on the ice, the longer you're on the ice, the more shifts you get, the more likely you're going to generate a scoring chance or actually score. So uh, for me, I think that's a huge factor for Galchenyuk too. If they can find him more ice time, will he produce more? You'd hope so. But at the same time, it's kind of the double-edged sword of a skilled player is you need the ice time to produce. But if you're not producing, the coach isn't going to give you a lot more time to go out there if you're not doing much with what you're getting so it's kind of a vicious cycle it's kind of hard to break out of and that's where maybe the power play can help too I know Galchenyuk hit a post on the power play the other game so hopefully he gets something to go for him and gets rolling because he's a streaky scorer and he has the talent where he can definitely score three four or five goals in the next four or five games you know something like that and and really all of a sudden you look at you'll look, we'll look at his stats next week and be like wow this guy's on a hot streak can he keep it up so I I think that is the ideal and if, if you're playing with Malkin a player like Galchenyuk who is a skilled player who has some hands who can work with the puck I mean that's that's got to be the best you can ask for as a winger to get a, a center like Evgeny Malkin who you can play the puck to and who's going to give it back to you a lot of times well, I don't think I can say anything else after what you had, what what you had just explained regarding uh, Alex Galchenyuk's uh, current status with with the Penguins and Evgeny Malkin. Jim, you just basically put that all on a bow and, and stuck that right under the Christmas tree to get in the holiday season. So with that, I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna switch segments and we're gonna go into our mailbag segment here. If you're a first time listener or a long time listener and you're interested in getting into the action with our weekly mailbag segment. All you have to do is follow our podcast Twitter account at Pod at PennsburgPOD on Twitter. Every week we'll send out a tweet asking for your participation and your questions for this week's, uh, for this week's show. And uh, we love getting 
all types of listener feedback and interaction. No topic, no question is off limits for this mailbag segment. Uh, that's all you have to do, again, is go on Twitter and uh, follow our Pensburg Podcast Twitter account to be notified when, when uh, um, a mailbag tweet goes out. So, uh, Jim, you'll get first crack at the question that I'm about to ask you. Cole Del Vecchio is back, and he asks us, what's your take on the Penguins' power play at the moment? It's not very good. How about that, Cole? <laughs> uh, for a little more than that, um, I guess they're now 0 for 21, 0 for 22, something like that. And it's been nine and a half games since the power play goal has happened, which you don't usually see for the Pens or any team. That's a prolonged drought. And um, there's obviously multiple reasons why it's built to this level. There's the personnel issues, the injury to Malkin hurts, the injury to Latang now is going to hurt. So that that's something to overcome. I think also that they're missing Phil Kessel, to be honest, on the power play. He ran the power play. He controlled the zone entries. He did a lot of carrying the puck through the neutral zone, all that good stuff to get them set up. And then once they were set up, he kind of directed traffic and chose where the play would go with his passing. He scored a lot of points. So they're having to replace Phil Kessel, and they haven't, they haven't done just a one-for-one replacement or anything or just tried to – fit a new piece into where he is. They've been trying to use two defensemen more, which due to the Latang injury, they probably won't be able to do anymore. So it's just been a work in progress and it hasn't really progressed that well. I guess the good thing is there's still a lot of talent on the ice when you've got now Malkin's back, you've got Crosby, you've got Gensel, you've got Justin Schultz. Hornquist is out, which that'll hurt, but that'll give Galchenyuk probably a chance to play top power play more than he has been. So uh, hopefully they're due, and I know Mike Sullivan the other day was very confident about it and liking the chances they got. They got like 11 shots on goal and five power play opportunities against Edmonton. The other game, I didn't like it as much against Boston, but they didn't have a ton of chances on it either. So um, they definitely need to get it going because this is an offensive-minded team. This is a team that's built to put up goals, and if they're not scoring on the power play, they're not going to win a lot of games, and I guess if you look back at this eight, nine games where they haven't scored a power play goal, they haven't, the record's okay, even though they've been playing well, even if they get another one, two, three power play goals at all during that game, you might turn that Edmonton game, for instance, doesn't go to overtime if the Pens score on the power play there, so that's just an example that that is definitely room for improvement and it's something that just has to improve. They got the pieces and those guys just have to figure it out. So hopefully they will. Our next question comes to us from the staple of the segment, Sammy Bagel Jr. Who asks us the Penguins fans who think they're smarter than the GMs claiming the Pens should trade Nick Beatstad with his first goal and first point. Do you think it's, it would be a wise move to trade him or keep him? I think ever, especially after Erica Branson was traded in that salary dump, it's become more and more popular to look at Erica Branson and for him to plausibly be the next man out to create more salary cap space, maybe even attach him to a Jack Johnson, maybe see what you can get. Um, and it's been a really rough go for Nick Bukestad to start the season. Uh, he only has one point to this point in the season, which obviously you, you don't want to see from uh, a guy with his caliber playing on the third line. So he's become kind of a scapegoat, I guess you could say. Um, for the time being, I think Nick Bukestad has to stay. I, I, don't think you, I don't think you healthy scratch him, and I don't think you trade him. I think, as we've seen already, and as we're seeing again with the absence of Patrick Hornquist, 
uh, especially the versatility aspect when I think of uh, Bukestad. You know, he doesn't play, he doesn't have to play just center. He has some experience playing at wing if uh, Sullivan so chooses to play him there. Yeah, his contract is kind of a, uh, a kind of an eyebrow raiser. I'm not sure if he's a UFA after this season or not, but he is making uh, over $4 million, if not $4 million exactly. So it's kind of a high salary for a third-line center. And, you know, there already have been rumbles that maybe Bukestad would be the odd man out possibly traded between now and the trading deadline. There's still a long time between now and the deadline, so we'll see what happens if he does pick his game back up. But for the time being, and given the injuries that the Penguins have already sustained this year, I don't think Nick Bukestad is going anywhere. I think his size at 6'6", he is unlike any other forward that the Penguins have. Let's face it, the Penguins are a small team, and it's been something that many fans have complained about over the years, not having a big-bodied enforcer. I'm not saying Nick Bukestad is going to be that enforcer-type player, but having a guy that's 6'6", compared to Crosby, who's 5'11", the the height and weight difference is just just obviously another dimension of play that Bukestad brings to his game. So while it hasn't really translated well on the score sheet yet, I think Bukestad is still too good of a player. He's surrounded with some pretty decent line mates at the moment with with Dominic Cahoon and Jared McCann. I, I think it's... I don't want to say it's only a matter of time, but I think Bukestad may start to kick it into gear here relatively soon. Our third question comes from Michael Atkinson, who asks, uh, why are they still carrying Chad Ruedel? He always looked fine to me as an extra D, but the coaching staff seems intent on not playing him. Why keep him at all? Well, Michael, thanks for the question, and we're about to find out because with this injury to Chris Letang, if he has to miss any time, then the top two right-handed defensemen are obviously Schultz and Marino, but there's no one else on the team with the trade of Gabranson than Chad Ruedel. So I would think that he slots back into the lineup unless they want to get crazy with the pairings and stuff if they want to play, I guess, Jack Johnson and Ricola on the third pair, which doesn't sound great. Um, But they wanted to keep Ruedel for this very reason. He's depth. He's a guy who can go, you know, weeks or even months at a time without playing and then do a pretty okay job. I mean, some of his deeper numbers aren't that great, but that's why he's a sixth or seventh defenseman. Those guys don't look great anyways, so you have to take what you can get from them. And with Ruedel, you know what you're going to get. He can move the puck. He can move his feet a little. He's not always going to be totally reliable, but he'll make a few plays and he'll he'll keep it moving, so... I think this shows really why why they have kept them, but I get your frustration, and I'm, I'm sure as a player it has to be awful too for Ruedel just sitting all month. He's seen every other player get a chance to play, even when Ricola gets to play some, some forward. That's got to be better than just sitting up in the press box, but this is the reason you need depth. Players are going to get hurt, especially the Penguins' defense. We've seen time and again those guys get banged up and nicked up a little bit. So that's happened again, apparently. So now this is Rue Weedle's time to shine. Hopefully he can do it. Yeah, I agree with you, Jim, just to put an exclamation point on uh, this last question here. Uh, the reason I, I didn't bring uh, uh, Chad Rue Weedle's name up when talking about the Latang injury at the start of the show, just because I knew we had a question for him in the mailbag segment, uh, yeah, but you hit the nail right on the head there regarding Chad Ruedel's play. Uh, he's not going to knock your socks off, but I think he's a perfectly serviceable six or seven. And if Mike Sullivan wants to keep that left-right defenseman dynamic, I think Chad Ruedel is probably the obvious candidate. If they if they do the simple thing and, like you said, just shift everybody up 
in the pairs uh, have um, have Schultz play on the first line. Uh, Marino would round out the top four and bring Ruedel in with Jack Johnson in the bottom pairing. I mean, you have to make do with what you have. It's not the greatest scenario, obviously, when dealing with a Latang injury. Um, nothing is ever going to be perfect, but yeah, I, I think he's a perfectly serviceable depth option. Uh, and yeah, I just like to give Matt pretty mad props to Chad Ruedel for always, always being ready, I, I guess is the best way to describe it for, you know, being in the Penguins organization now for the last three or four years and really playing this role exclusively of the, the six slash seven slash eight defenseman and being called on when necessary. It's not easy. It can't be easy, like you said, for guys to just continuously sit up in the press box and just wait and wait and wait and wait until they get their name called. Uh, but with that, that that should end the mailbag segment. Uh, Jim, do you have anything else you want to add before we get out of here? No, I really liked your answer with Bukestad. That was a great point, saying that he's a bigger guy, and that's something the Penguins don't have. He's also a right-handed shot for a center. That's something else they don't have anything of, so that factors in on faceoffs. And yeah, I agree with what you said there. He's not going to score every game, because then he wouldn't be playing third-line center. He'd be playing first-line center. So I don't really have a problem with that, especially these days. The cap's $81 million. It's not that unusual to pay a center $4 million to be the third-line center, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm right on with that, that a little patience will go a long way for Bukesad. He scored on the breakaway against Boston. He's obviously capable of doing some stuff. So, yeah, right right on with that. I wanted just to chime in there with that. But otherwise, great show, everyone. Thanks for hitting us up on the mailbag, and hopefully you'll follow along and contribute next week. And, Garrett, you're going to let them know how? Absolutely. I will let them know how you can follow along and get notified whenever a new episode of the Pennsburg podcast goes out. Like I said, you can follow the Penguins or the Pennsburg podcast Twitter, excuse me, at Pennsburg pod. Follow our main account for all sorts of great Penguins content throughout the season at Pennsburg. You can also find Penguin or Pennsburg, excuse me, uh, on Facebook as well. Just type in Pennsburg on Facebook and it will link to our Facebook page. Uh, any type of podcasting platform of your choosing, I'm sure the Peng- the Pennsburg podcast is on. We currently uh, are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and on Pennsburg's main website. Uh, every time a podcast episode goes out, I will write up a, a special podcast episode post for Pennsburg. That is how you can get in touch with us during the season. Uh, you can follow Hooks himself on Twitter at Hooks underscore Orpic. You can follow myself on Twitter at GBahanna, at G-B-E-H-A-N-N-A. Uh, and uh, Jim, for you, uh, I'd just like to say thanks to everyone who keeps listening and keeps interacting with us uh, throughout the season. It's been great fun so far as we head into the month of November. Certainly going to be fun here as we hit the, 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 really the meat and potatoes of the NHL season heading into Thanksgiving, Christmas and the new year. But for Jim Rixner, Hooks or Pick himself, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Pennsburg Podcast, and we will see you next week.